Hello, and welcome to Evaluand, the podcast about the land of evaluation between you and me, your host, Dana Linnell Wanzer. This is the show where we interview people about any and all things evaluation related. This week, we're chatting with Dr. Jennifer Ann Morrow about teaching evaluation and data cleaning. Jennifer is currently the program coordinator of the Evaluation Statistics and Measurement Doctoral Program at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Her main areas of research are higher education assessment and evaluation and effective strategies for teaching methodology. She has been teaching evaluation and methodology courses for the past 22 years. She is passionate about evaluation and assessment and regularly tweets on these topics at Evaluation Diva on Twitter. In her spare time, she loves to travel and explore the beautiful towns and mountains of Tennessee. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Dana. Awesome. So I brought you on the podcast for two reasons. The first is I really wanted to talk about teaching evaluation since that's something we have a lot in common. Um, I just wrapped up my first year teaching, so I'd love to hear how you approach your teaching so I can get some tips and tricks and think about, you know, think more critically about how I teach evaluation as well. And also, um, you've shared in the past a lot of resources on data cleaning and analysis, I think primarily in SPSS. Um, and those were all really helpful when I was teaching statistics last year. Um, so I'm also excited to talk to you about your book proposal that you're working on on data cleaning. Um, is it specifically for evaluation or just data cleaning in general? For applied researchers, so evaluators, assessment professionals. Perfect. Cool. So we'll dive into that second. But first, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your teaching background. You've been teaching for 22 years. I have two years. So I'd love to like (laughs) pick your brain about like, uh, so you you teach evaluation assessment uh, and it sounds like um, statistics courses based on your data clean background. Yeah. So statistics, I also teach survey research and research methods for master's and doctoral students at my university. Cool. So when it comes to teaching evaluation, like what are the things that you're hoping your students get out of the program? And maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, what your evaluation courses look like, because obviously evaluation courses look different depending on the organization and the institution you're at. Sure. So at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, we actually have a three sequence evaluation uh, course for our doctoral students. And I primarily will teach uh, the first two uh, courses. Uh, And then the third course is just for our advanced doctoral students. Uh, My main focus in those first two courses is hands on learning and understanding the theory and the methodology in order for them to be an effective evaluator. And so uh, in those two courses, there's a lot of uh, active participation, self-reflection. We do a lot of activities based on those readings. And so it's not just me standing there lecturing, uh, talking, which I certainly could do for for that three-hour class, but it is a lot more of me working with those groups on some, whatever the topic is for that day. So are they working with a local organization and doing like a year-long program evaluation? Yes. So I think it's really important for them to jump right into a real evaluation. And so they have a choice for finding that real client. And a lot of times, you know, um, sometimes students struggle with, you know, I don't know anybody in Knoxville, you know, who I'm like, what are you passionate about? 
you know, what is of interest to you? And we try to find something that is, is local, um, that maybe even is on campus. And as always, there's usually tons of organizations. Hey, do you have any evaluation students that could help us out? We have this need. And so I'll present those to them as well as so they have some choices. But they find that evaluation client. And then in the fall semester, we work on that proposal, developing the evaluation plan, meeting with the stakeholders, getting all of the materials ready for IRB. And then in the spring, they actually carry out the evaluation. Cool. Yeah, that sounds very similar to what we do at University of Wisconsin-Stout, what Claremont Graduate University does as well. Um, Do you have students do these projects individually or are they in small groups? I'm going to say my famous, it depends. Um, (laughs) I think that's that's gonna. I have a T-shirt that even says it depends because I say oh, it. So I, I need that. I say it. So one of my students got it for me because she's like, "You say it all the time, Doctor Mar." I'm like, "It is my mantra." Um, at my previous institution, it was more of a group project because we, I only had one evaluation class and just for logistics to do it as a group activity. Uh, but here at UT, I've been doing it as individual, but in reflections from and, and feedback from students, I think I might give the option of allowing groups to do some of these because sometimes they have such big ideas and it's just not feasible. And so I'll, I'll okay, well, let's pare it down. Let's pare it down. But I think if we could uh, find some individuals that will work together, it might be a great learning experience as well. So I think for next year, as long as everything goes well for the fall semester, we're back face to face. I'll allow those group, those group projects. Nice. Yeah. I, I've always done group projects. Um, and that's what Claremont does as well. And that's why I went that way. Um, I had groups of three and then one group of four and I really liked the groups of three. I thought that was just kind of the perfect number. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I think I've done like three to three to five, depending on the size of the class previously, but my students are so diverse in terms of their background and their majors that it was hard to, to come up with topics that I think they would be appealing to all. And so I really wanted them to pick their own topics. So, I mean, I have students from literacy, education, psychology, evaluation. Um, and so their topics and the clients they come up with are so, are so diverse. Right. Yeah. Because I, I try to find clients for the students. So mm-hmm. I came in with... Um, I think I came in with four topics and let people choose which ones they were most interested in. Mm-hmm. But I, I know there was like, I didn't have a health program and I had a couple students who were really interested in our yeah. health concentration primarily. So that was a bit of a struggle, but um, I think they still got, you know, a lot out of the program regardless. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. I will try to make sure I have a nice breadth of, of topics available to students. Yeah. But with a large class, let me tell you, with 20 students sometimes, it's Ooh. a lot of work. Yeah. And managing and helping 20 students with individual projects. So, Oh, yeah. It- <laughs> yeah, four is a lot more manageable. <laughs> yes, yes. That's why I'm like, hmm, you know, and the students say, well, maybe we could possibly work in groups. Maybe we could do a bigger project. I'm like, maybe, maybe we should explore this next year. Yeah. Well, that's nice. I'm glad you're, like, taking student feedback, you know, actually, like, engaging in the evaluation process with your teaching. <laughs> Go well, figure. I'm also a big assessment person, and so I do a lot of formative and summative assessment in my class, and so I'm constantly asking for feedback, and I do. I change my courses every year based on that feedback. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, okay. We'll get into that in a second. I had one more question about the logistics. Um, is, is this a class that students take their first year coming in or is this like a second year? Like where are they in the process of their master's or doctoral program? Sure. It depends on, it depends on the type <laughs> of student. So for our evaluation doctoral students, they have to take it in their first year. So it is the first uh, uh, year that, that two qu- uh, class sequence, but we have a, an ESM certificate program. So it's an add-on certificate to other doctoral programs. And so some of those students are taking this in their second or third year uh, of their doctoral program. Occasionally, I'll have a master's student that's just using this as a research course. um, And and usually they're taking this in their second year. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Because one of the struggles I've had is um, I have my master's students coming in and taking it their first year. And there are pros and cons to that. Mm-hmm. Um, pros being that, you know, we can get them to attend AEA the next year because now they've really bought into what evaluation is. They might be more likely to do a thesis related to evaluation. But one of the cons is like they're taking methods at the same exact time mm-hmm. um, as they're designing a, an evaluation. Right. And um, and our, our design methods course is a year-long course. So by the time they're supposed to be done with their proposal, they still haven't quite gotten into especially qualitative mixed methods, which is the second semester. Um, we're working on revisions to help hopefully allay some of those concerns. But um, yeah, that, that's a struggle because like now I have to also teach methods in my evaluation course. And I there's not enough time to teach theory and methods and stakeholder engagement and uh, all these different things, you know, all the ethics and professionalization parts of mm-hmm. evaluation on top of everything else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even with the two course sequence, I'm like, okay, I, I, yeah, I can't cover this. Okay. This can be covered in the advanced class or this can be covered in our, in our seminar. We have a doctoral seminar for our students. Um, so I struggle with the same, the same areas. And I approach the classes that I expect students have absolutely no understanding at the very beginning. And I give a skills test and we kind of look and it changes then every year. So depending on the makeup of the class, I may have to modify my activities, the the additional resources that I give the students. And so sometimes I'm spending a lot of time on data cleaning and others like, okay, you all have had this. You don't need to listen to me again. Let's jump right into some other topic. Oh, interesting. So what does your your skills test look like? This is something like day one, week one? Yes. So based on the competencies, um, what are those main topics that I expect students to learn in this class, but also in their methods and um, stats and qualitative class? And then look at, okay, we have people that say, I know absolutely nothing about qualitative. I need to make sure then I cover some of that in the class. Or all these students have had me for stats. I don't need to talk about T-tests again or dating cleaning. I can just hear the resources and jump right into the activity without having to take up a lot of uh, discussion time. Oh, that's really helpful. I do that, I, I do that for all of my classes. I do, I, and, and I used to call it a, a test, and now I call it skills activity or a, a skills, skills quiz because they're like, are you evaluating me? I'm like, no, I'm not evaluating you. I'm just assessing to see where everyone in the class is. This is not, doesn't affect your grade. It's to help me better tailor the class to the students in the class. No, definitely. Yeah, I do that in my statistics course already with the – trying to see what they remember from their research methods course, which is a prerequisite for my mm-hmm. statistics course. Um, but I hadn't thought about doing that for my for my evaluation course. I also think like, wow, that'd be so helpful for my intro psych course as well, right? Like, yeah. what do you know about psychology already? 
Yeah. And then what are those misperceptions? And so we can then make sure we cover that uh, throughout the semester. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. So what are, um, what are some of your favorite activities that you do in teaching evaluation? Oh, I have, I have so many and they change every year, but um, this year I had, hadn't done it for a while. I did the evaluating cookie activity. So I start out yes. program evaluation one with that. Um, and it's a great activity by Preskill and Russ Eft. It's in their um, building evaluation capacity book. And there's a ton of activities in that book. So oh, I, I, a ton. I, yeah, I, I highly recommend, especially if you're new to evaluation and teaching evaluation, like, okay, how do I, how do I do this? Uh, a lot of great activities in that. So uh, that was so well received. And so I put all the cookies in the baggies. I let the students create the criteria. There was engagement. There's discussion. There's disagreement. And then we have a big group discussion at the end. And they saw that, okay, all four groups approached it very differently. And so that, again, it just started that conversation about, you know, what an evaluator is, what roles do we have, how do we develop that criteria that it can look differently. And this is how it then impacts the the solution and the data that we come up with. Definitely. So, is this something that you introduce? I've been kind of thinking about how I introduce the cookie activity. Like, mm-hmm. do I do a brief introduction to evaluation before launching into the cookie activity? Or do I just say like, okay, here's this evaluation. Like, let's just imagine this cookie maker or maybe like this uh, coffee shop wants to sell one cookie. They don't know which cookie to choose, you know, like which cookie should they choose and mm-hmm. then just give it to them like day one. Yep. I jump right in. I don't talk about evaluation. I said, we're going to do this activity and let's see what you all come up with. And then I try to, to, to bring back in that group discussion. We're going to talk about later competencies. We're going to talk about later criteria and, and creating, you know, better rubrics, et cetera. And so it kind of gives them a hint as what's to come. And it also, it relaxes them too. You know, some students, you know, are are just, I don't know what this class is going to be like, you know, I don't know these people. And especially, you know, my first year students, this is their first of the course in graduate school. So many are like, okay, imposter syndrome, you know, should I be here? What do these other students look like? Um, And so it's nice to kind of like ease that tension and kind of get right, right into the topic. Yeah, I like it. Because also then you can, you can bring in all those major terms that you're going to be using for the rest of the semester at the end of it during that big group discussions like oh what you just talked about that's this and we're going to talk about this in week two or whatever cool another another activity that i know that i think you will really like because i actually referenced you quite a bit is i have them do this whiteboard activity so the way my classroom is set up when we do face to face is i have these three whiteboards and so i have research assessment evaluation mm. and I give him I know and so I was like oh this is perfect and so when, I, when you were posting about your dissertation and I, thank you so much too for sharing all those materials because I was downloading them I'm going to use this in an activity and so I have the students break up into to three groups they start at one board they have two minutes to to discuss write down what they think research is I ring a bell, they move to assessment. I ring another bell, they move to evaluation. And then we sit down and we look at the boards and we have a a big discussion about what the similarities, what the differences are, what this means about what we're going to study in this particular class. And then obviously I promote, here's this other research methods course. This is what, you know, assessment is. But they really enjoyed it. And they had a lot of misperceptions. They confused a lot of these. And so it was really nice to see, oh, I didn't realize that. Or boy, I didn't realize how similar, you know, these two were. So, yes, I can't wait for your articles to come out from that. So I can reference that as well. 
it should be coming out soon. I mean, obviously you've got the preprint that you can mm-hmm. go ahead and share. Um, I had my students read it last year too, and they really enjoyed it. And I think they really understood what evaluation was after reading that and a couple other articles. Yeah. But I like that idea of coming in and just like letting them share what their misconceptions might be about what evaluation is or what, yeah. what they like that they have no idea, which is typically the case. Yeah. And that's what I do in that second week. And so right away, when we come back from that cookie activity, this starts the discussion and then we then move on to a different topic each week. Awesome. So in one thing I've also been kind of thinking about is the second semester Mm -hmm. when they're actually doing the evaluation. Um, I try to build in a lot of time for them to actually like be out doing the data collection, data analysis, report writing. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't I don't meet as much as a class because of that. Um, or rather, I do maybe more small group. Like I'll mm-hmm. meet one-on-one with the group instead. Um, but what else do you find important and like timely to teach in that second semester? No, that that's a great question. This was my last year or this past spring was my first time teaching that second sequence mm-hmm. of that course. Usually uh, Gary Skolitz, my colleague at, at UT, he'll always teach the second one. I teach the first one. And so this year was uh, my first time. And of course we have the pandemic. And so it changed right in the middle, uh, you know, kind of all of my plans, but, but I adapted. But so I, I you know, looked at all of his materials. I sat in on many of his classes and I had the same, you know, questions. What do I do? Uh, about 50% of the time is giving to the students to work on their own projects. And so I'll do consultations. I'll have open classroom where if they have questions, they can, can discuss their project with me. We do a lot of round robin at the beginning of the class, kind of 10 minutes, any major barriers, any issues that you want to share. Uh, but what I uh, did this past spring is I did an activity early on Uh, who and what is hot in evaluation. And so I wanted them to kind of go beyond my required readings and my required textbooks to kind of learn on their own what they thought was most influential, what was that hot topic. So I sent them to the AEA 365 blog and to the major journals and said, okay, look in the past two years, find a person, find a topic that spark something in you and do a one pager. So every student did a one pager of a different person and then a different topic in evaluation. And then we did an online discussion. We shared that online and then we discussed each of those. And so, and I said, and I'm going to do the same thing. And so I will be a student and I will pick someone and I will pick a topic. So I picked Melvin Mark because I think he's awesome. He is. Um, yes. Uh, everything that I've read, uh, I mean, I started reading him in graduate school a long time ago. Uh, and then uh, post-grad uh, school, I took classes from him at the Evaluators Institute. And he's an even better teacher. I mean, he was absolutely amazing. And just it just kind of sparked... I don't know, something in me that I was like, I need to learn more and I need to reference him. And and he's also just a cool guy. He was so nice to everyone and so personable. Um, And so I I wrote a little one pager on him. And then for my topic, it was uh, inspired by a a 365 blog post on mentoring novice evaluators. I think it was Beverly Peters that did it a couple years ago. And so uh, I obviously focused a lot of my research, a lot of my time on how to prepare emerging evaluators and what are those best practices? What are some things that I can do to engage these individuals that are new to this field in our field? How do I make sure they're culturally competent? And so I did a little one pager on that. And then my students, like I said, they chose 
you know, Rodney Hobson, Stephanie Evergreen. Um, they did topics on social justice, cultural competence evaluation, data visualization, data storytelling. And it was great to kind of see, you know, what sparks joy and interest in these students. And also students learned about people that we may not have talked about and learned about topics that we may not have gone in as depth in that first class. So that was, that was how I started out program evaluation too this semester. And it seemed to really work. And I did it in an online environment. This is before the pandemic. And it's, and it really, it really worked uh, uh, for that class. And then um, we spent quite a bit of time at the beginning on evaluator roles, obviously, because I referenced the paper <laughs> Gary uh, and Aaron and I did. But talking about what are the different roles that we take on as evaluators? How does this influence then the, d the different evaluation activities? But what was the most fun for the students, and I, I will absolutely plug this book, is Hutchinson's Evaluation Failures book. Have yes. you read that yet? Oh, oh, yeah. It is so good. And so there's so many great uh, scenarios in there. And so I used some of hers. I created some that were a reflection of some of my experiences over the, with all names changed, of course, over the past 22 years. And I broke students up into groups. We read these scenarios. We talked about, you know, what went wrong? How could we have done something different? But I think it was really cool for the students to see, here are these eminent scholars in evaluation. They've been doing this a long time and issues happen. Things go wrong with the client. Things go wrong with the planning. Things go wrong with the dissemination. And that's okay. And you learn from that. And so I, I, I love, love that book. That was such a great activity to do in the class. Um, and then weave throughout both of the semesters in program evaluation is uh, self-reflection journals. And so uh, they have to do weekly reflections, which they upload onto our uh, Canvas site. And I provide feedback. The teaching assistant provides feedback as well as needed. But I think it's really important. And I, I do get some flack at the beginning. Oh, we have to reflect. Oh my God, I don't have to do this. And then by the end of the semester, you know, they're writing more and more. And I let them be creative too. They just, they don't have to just write text. They can do visuals. They can do audio. They can do videos. So, so I let them be creative if they want to provide the reflections to me that way. And I talk about the importance of just kind of reflecting on our own learning, but then also what are those competencies that we want to um, enhance? What are we, what are we lacking? Where do we need to seek out more information? And so based on those reflections and we, I you know the feedback I provide, one of the other activities that um, is a good portion of the class are practical experience. So not just their project that they're leading, but they have to do so many hours of practical experience and they get to choose. And so I provide them a lot of different opportunities, but I'll have students come to me. I really, I really want to understand R. You know, we learn SPSS, we learn uh, STATA in our classes. I really want to understand and learn how to use R. Okay, well, here's this online uh, class you can take. Here is this uh, uh conference you can go to. Here is this book you could read. Here is this individual that you can, you know, get mentorship from. And so students get to choose then those practical experiences. So I've had students shadow evaluators in, in the community and then learn from them, do interviews uh, about, you know, kind of what they do on a daily basis. Uh, I've had students take a ton of uh, uh, these online webinars. I mean, even before the pandemic, but certainly after the pandemic. Okay, now I've got to figure out how do I continue on with this practical experience when we 
can't do things face to face. And so students, you know, participated in online focus groups and they, you know, uh, uh, was a student in a, in a webinar. And so uh, they get to choose based on their needs, their competencies, uh, what is uh, interesting and sparks joy in them. And then they reflect on that as well. And so a lot of that program eval two class is just me providing feedback to those reflections, me providing mentorship with their projects. And then the time that we do spend in class, it's all hands-on activities. There's nothing, nothing coming out of my mouth in terms of a lecture discussion. It really is. We sit down, they know that they have three hours or whatever that time period is to work on an activity that's related to something that will help them do a better job on their evaluation project. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for all those really practical ideas and tips for how to how I could, you know, improve my teaching. But I'm sure a lot of other people who might be listening to this could also improve their teaching. Um, that practical experience part, is that something that's built into the program two course? Is that or is that something part of the larger doctoral program? It's built into the program two course and the program. And so for those students in that program evaluation two class, uh, they have to do at minimum of 10 hours. So most of the students exceeded that. But within our evaluation doctoral program, we have a required seminar that there's projects, there's activities. They have to do so many hours each semester of practical experience. And like I said, most exceed that. There's required internships. Um, and again, many do more than the 200 minimum hours for those because we are training applied researchers. Most of my students, they don't think that my job is glamorous. They do not want to be faculty. I, I understand. They don't want to be faculty members. They're going to go out and be evaluation professionals, assessment professionals, researchers. And so the more hands-on experiences that they have, the more uh, engagement they have with uh community organizations, government organizations, where they can work on applied projects, I think is key. And usually we have more people asking, do you have a student that can help us than we have students struggling to find a place? If anything, there's so many choices, like how can I fit all of this into a four or five year, five year degree? Mm -hmm. um, and, and they get to tailor it to something that, that they really enjoy. So I have a student, she really uh, was interested in data visualization. Um, and so she actually did an internship with Anne Emery this past semester. So she helped her create some uh, videos, gather some information, but again, some hands-on experience on a topic that we touch upon and we certainly talk about in our classes, but she got to work with one of the greats. I was actually really jealous. I kind of live vicariously through her. I'm like, oh, you get to I work know, with right? Anne Emery. I know I'm taking <laughs> her great graphs class. I, I, I could plug Anne Emery all day. She is a data visualization goddess and one of, uh, yes. one of my favorites, but I was like, oh, if I was a grad student, I would have loved this. This would have been such a cool internship. So yeah, I, I live vicariously through my students' <laughs> internships. I get to work with some, some cool people and some cool organizations. That is so awesome. We have a separate practicum and internship requirement, um, but uh, it it's a separate course, right? Um, but I like the idea of building in like, okay, you need to take two or three hours of a workshop or uh, a LinkedIn learning thing or go shadow somebody or go interview people to learn some other thing that you're interested in. I love that idea. I'm, I might work with that. I have to, I'd have to revise the course a little bit for that, but uh, that sounds super awesome. Thank you. 
And, and I say, that, you know, some students are like, well, well, I don't know what I don't know yet. And I don't know what I want to do. And then I'm like, well, well, again, what, what do you see yourself doing in five years? What skills do you want to enhance? And so, I mean, I have a lot of students in my program evaluation courses that are counselor educators, uh, school psychologists. So, so how can you take that area and weave evaluation to it? What, where would that help you? Like what kinds of activities would benefit you to be a future school psychologist, to be a future counselor educator? And so they start coming up with, well, can I do this for practical evaluation or practical experience? I'm like, absolutely. And so they'll come with to me with ideas. And then I said, oh, is this something that I can share them with everyone else? And so I'll post it on Canvas. Here's this opportunity that Zach, you know, uh, showed everyone, you know, you can participate too, and you'll get one credit of uh, evaluation experience to do that. And then make sure you reflect on that experience so do you have students share those reflections among themselves to kind of share the learning I do not. We do uh, on occasion in class as we're having our big discussions, talk about some of the experience that we have, but I let the students choose whether or not um, I keep those uh, uh, confidential between the student and myself and the TA and I'm very clear to also uh, in the instructions that you know, we, we typically have a teaching assistant in the class. And so he or she is usually an advanced graduate student in our program. They will have then access to this. So if there's something you don't want to share with them, don't put it in the reflection journal. You can send me a private one. And I've had students do that. Sometimes there's just a sensitive topic, something going on with the client. They just, they, they, they don't know how to deal with this particular situation and they just want to share this with me. But otherwise, you know, they share all kinds of issues, concerns, uh, 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 great things that happen in not only in this class, but also in the, their evaluation project and other classes uh, with myself and the teaching assistant. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Is there anything else that you want to share about teaching evaluation before we start talking about your book? Um, I would say that if you are someone who teaches evaluation, really look to those self-reflections from your students and your uh, formative evaluations and uh, your end of course evaluations. I know there's a whole debate there as to those yeah, and the course. usefulness, <laughs> but I think the feedback from the students as to how they're learning, you know, what really sparked their interest, what do they want more information on really helps me modify the class the next time around. And like I said, the skills test at that beginning, you know, who are the students this semester? You know, where are they coming from? What, what experiences do they have? What do they need to know? And so then tailoring that. And so sometimes I have everything planned and, oh, I'm just going to now change this activity. And, and obviously with the spring, my whole second semester, I'm like, okay, now we're remote learning. These will not work. What do I do? And then dealing with everything else. I mean, if anything, it showed us how resourceful I think some of us could be. Okay. I need to still continue on with the class, but we're in this very unique situation. How do I do it? And so to not be so rigid in, I have to follow this plan. It has to be this linear, these topics, these skills. Sometimes it has to be a little bit more organic and after 22 years, I've learned to relax a little bit and not, okay, sometimes we need to have to, to modify the syllabus as we go. 
Definitely. Well, I feel like, you know, being trained in evaluation has actually prepared me to teach really well because I don't feel obligated to stick to the syllabus or stick to the evaluation plan. You know, things change yes. and we'll have a conversation about it and then we'll decide together. OK, mm-hmm. this is what we decided to do. Let's move forward with this new plan. Yeah. And I was not trained as an evaluator. My degree is in experimental psychology ah. and I, uh, you know, throughout that degree, got a lot of experience experience in evaluation, had an amazing mentor for evaluation, John Stevenson, who taught the only class that we had in evaluation. I was like, I love this. This could take all of my skills and I can investigate new topics. I can, you know, do something more applied. I thought I was going to be a, a, a social psychologist and, you know, do, you know, like lab experiments. That's what I, you know, started doing in, in, in undergrad and then uh, took that one evaluation course. I'm like, nope, I need, need more information on this. But it was the only course that they offered in our program. And so I, I worked on projects with, with, with uh, John and with my uh, mentor, Lisa Harlow, to get more experience in statistics and kind of understanding the methodology. But then post-PhD, I obviously went to AA every year, but I took classes at the Evaluators Institute, got to meet Melvin Mark and Gary Henry and all the greats and learn from them. And so, you know, I'm constantly still looking for more professional development to enhance what I know so I can be a better instructor. So uh, right now I'm taking the great grass class with Ann Emery and I just signed up for um, uh, the R for the rest of us. Cause I'm like, okay, I, I need to learn R and nice. I, I can't, and I've gone to many, many workshops. Not all of them have been good, but I know his, his are good. Cause I, I've, I've been to, to some smaller ones before and he seems like a great instructor, but I need hands-on. I need to be able to touch the data, to work with the data. I do not learn sitting there when someone else talks. I'm a terrible student. I need to, I need to be hands-on. I need a problem. I need to solve a problem. So I'm excited to, to spend the rest of my summer in isolation <laughs> being a student for a little while. That's awesome. Yeah, I love how David approaches his yes. um, his courses. So have you taken his free one? Yes. So I took the free one and then I believe it was um, one of the coffee hours, one of the smaller uh, yeah, workshops. Uh-huh. And then I follow him on Twitter and I'm like, I, I, could, I could learn from this guy. So I was yes. like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to pay for my... I can't travel anywhere this summer. I'm going to pay for this class. And especially because it, it doesn't have to be a set time. I'm terrible with... <laughs> set time. I need something more organic. So I'm like, okay, we have access to all the materials forever. Perfect. So I can kind of come and go as I please. But yeah, that is on my list of things to do is be a student for a little while. Yeah, I'm actually working with him right now to develop um, his, I think this will be the fourth course on inferential statistics in R. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so it won't go into super depth. Like we're just going to cover T-test, one-way NOVAs, um, a little bit into regression, Mm chi-square, and uh, Chromebox Alpha and Omega. Um, And then talk a little bit about how to pull those statistics out if you're Mm going to write up in like a manuscript and do it in a, in a reproducible way, as opposed to what you're used to in SPSS, which is let's type out the APA style T test results, right? Um, but in R, you can just kind of run a script and it will pop it out for you automatically pre-formatted. And I, I showed my students at the end of um, my undergraduate statistics class R, that was our finals week uh, mm-hmm. thing that we did. And I just did a one hour demonstration of R and all the cool things about it. And when they found that out, they were like, why didn't we learn R in the first place? Like, yeah, 
this does it for us automatically. We've struggled with this all semester long. And now you tell us that there's this program that could have done it for me. <laughs> I know. I think it, I tell my students, you know, as a grad student, it's important to dabble in all the different software packages. You don't know where you're going to end up. I'm still a big SPSS person. I, you know, it's not going to go away, but I'm also a syntax person. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so helps. old that I learned on a mainframe, you know, <laughs> we didn't have, I know I'm like, yeah, we had a mainframe and we had to sit there and enter our data 010101. And they look at me like, what? I'm like, yes, I had to, you know, log in. There was only so many licenses. And so <laughs> you had to run your analysis that way. So I know that SPSS script, you know, like the back of my hand, that's what, how I use SPSS. Now in my lower level classes, I'll teach point and click, but I'll also give them the scripts. And so if they want that more advanced, but I think it's important to learn R, to learn Stata, to learn, to learn SAS, because again, you don't know where your job and where your life is going to take you. And so it's good to have experiences in all of these. But like I said, with, with R, I've attended a few workshops over the years and I just didn't have that instructor that it sparked that interest, but also give me that hands-on approach. And so, you know, uh, I think it's important to, to have that. And I'm mentoring two uh, students this summer that are doing uh, an, an internship for, uh, with me to create a, a, an R handbook. And so it is going to have, here's the screenshots, here's the script, here's what to do from, from very beginning to, you know, how to pull in data to how to clean the data, inferential statistics, visualization, write-up, report, generating. And so that is really going to be a great handout for my students in the future and that we can and weave into our, our courses. So they get just that little flavor of R and if they want more advanced and they can take the advanced courses, they can do additional professional development to, to become an expert there. Yeah, that's awesome. I, um, we're moving one, our graduate course, um, we teach two sections, one for food and nutrition students. And I teach that, um, and we're going to experiment with them and teaching with Jamovi, which is, mm-hmm. um, just R, but with a different GUI than our studio. And, um, I'm really excited because last year I developed these handouts for each of the statistics and topics we covered, but I've decided next year and maybe I'm putting too much on my plate, but, um, I'm going to move all of those onto a book down website. So if you've seen like R for DS, um, R for data science, that book, that's a website, like that's book down. And so I'm going to just translate all of my things to that because then I don't have to worry about word formatting. Mm -hmm. I can embed our script and code easily and images easily, and I can edit it and update it like on the fly. So if somebody messages me and it's like, Oh, there's a typo, there's an error here. I can just edit it and I don't have to send a new handout to all of my students. That's what our students are doing. They're doing that as well. They're putting that. So it could be easily editable. I'm still old school. I'm like, can you, can you create a PDF or word document for me? I I need to still have that, but yes, I'm, I'm learning. We all, again, you know, we, we're constantly, we are adult, we are, you know, learners forever. And so I, you know, uh, uh, I probably would. I started out with SAS at the very, very, very beginning, and and kind of gravitated toward SPSS. And now it's like, okay, I'm st- I still love SPSS. I'm still going to use SPSS, but I need to to learn R. I need to learn some of these other things so I can kind of keep up with the times and expose my students to multiple platforms so they are better prepared for the future. But yeah, I don't think I'll ever be an R car- R. Car- convert though maybe ask me in 10 years and maybe I'll be like I'm writing a book in R I don't know but um, I'm still I still love my SPSS 
Oh, I, I bet you're going to fall in love and never look back. I'm calling oh, it. That's okay. my prediction. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so before we wrap up, what is something in evaluation that's giving you life right now? Like, what are you ex- interested, excited about? Um, I love the idea that you did with your students about talking about cool people and topics. Um, but what, what right now is speaking to you? I have been spending a lot of my time uh, researching and writing about uh, data visualization and effective ways to disseminate evaluation data. And so, like I mentioned Anne Emery before, but, you know, Anne Emery, uh, Amy Cecil, Cole Naflick, Stephanie Evergreen, I'm trying to read everything from them. Um, I even did a, a Pecha Kucha presentation about data visualization and effective uh, uh disseminating of evaluation and assessment data on this topic. And I, you know, talked about these amazing data goddesses, these data visualization goddesses that I've learned from, and that I've incorporated their suggestions and their activities. And so all of those materials and all of this new professional development that I'm experiencing has really helped my classes. I mean, I, I look back at, God, I look back at some of my old evaluation reports. I mean, again, I came out of psychology, you know, APA format, really boring tables, God forbid, you know, generated from SPSS, but, you know, all of these tables. And then that's how I used to teach our students. And, and I'm right. like, oh my God, that's horrifying. <laughs> and then I go right. now, I, now I look at the different activities. I mean, and I'm a big Excel person. So I do all my data visualizations in Excel. I mean, I, I think all of the, 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 the help that uh, Anne Emery and Stephanie Evergreen have provided everyone in, in their in their classes and their textbooks, uh, I just bring back to my students. You know, here you can create this great template. You can use branding from your for your organization. Here are better ways to create these visualizations. There's so many great resources out there, but those are just a couple of them. But then I've infused those in my classes, and so you know, and then the stu- and, and you can see the students' response. Like, oh, I never thought I could create a wiki for my for my client or uh, this one pager, or I could do, I, I do, I do talk about data parties. And so I'm like, let's start with a, with a Pecha Kucha. And then we get them together and we do a data party. We talk about the results and we, we make that action plan. And so, um, uh, Amy Cecil is a data visualization expert, part of the data visualization society. And she does this Play-Doh activity. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I've never had so much fun. I don't consider myself artsy at, at all, I, I, but you know, taking that into class and I've used this now with with undergrads, graduate students. I've used this with assessment professionals, provosts, vice provosts at a conference, you know, a workshop. And I brought out tables of Play-Doh. Here's some data. How would you visualize this for your client? And they're looking at me like, is she crazy? And by the end of it, they're like, we're done? Oh, we're not done yet. Like, this is so much fun. And, and it was the most engaging workshop myself and my student ever did. You know, it was it was so much fun. And and. It, it's sparking that interest. It's like, how? What are better ways for me to take this information, you know, P less than 0.05 or this quote from this this client, and present it back to the organization so they can effectively use it to enhance what they do. So uh, I, I've been spending a lot of time, you know, again, in that professional development and incorporating that in my classes and how I train my students. And related to that, you know, my emerging evaluators, you know. What do, what do they need? What are those competencies that they're lacking, and how do I better better train them so they're they're effective once they once they are once they graduate? And so, how do I can, how can I support them? You know, what activities? What do I need them to engage in while they're a graduate student, while they're beginning stages of being an evaluator? So, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about 
what do emerging evaluators look like and what do they need and what are those competencies that every doctoral program should focus on? Right. Uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with Bianca Montrose Moorhead's? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause she did some work on looking at what, um, I think it was TIG leaders thought doctoral and master students should get out of their programs. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been thinking about that a lot too. Um, Cause like, I would like to get them to uh, like be competent or at least understand everything. Right. Yeah. But I can only cover so much in a master's program, let alone a doctoral program. Right. Yeah. And it's so hard. I mean, like I said, our program and our classes are so diverse. I mean, I have students coming from physics, from the agricultural school, from psychology. And so they have different career paths. They uh, have learned different terminology. They focus on different methodology. They look at applied research in different ways. And so they're all in the same class. I'm like, okay, now what do I do? And so, you know, they have different needs and there's different competencies that need to be enhanced. And, you know, I have, like I said, I have some students that come into evaluation. They're like, I'm just taking this for my research course. I'm never going to be an evaluator. I don't need this. I don't even know what this is. And then by the end, it's like, oh, I can incorporate this in my counselor education world. This is really important. These skills translate there. And I love, I love seeing that. I love seeing where it's like, I, I can use this information, Dr. Morrow, in my future. And I'm like, yeah, I told you so. <laughs> I told you so. I, I haven't, I mean, I've even brought some to the dark side and be like, hey, you sure you don't, you know, want to be an evaluator, take some additional internships, maybe, you know, jump into, to, to, to my world a little bit. And, and since some, some do. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I in the context of time, um, sure. I would love to talk about the book proposal you're writing on data cleaning. Can sure. you tell us some more about it? Well, it has been 10 years in the making. Um, Gary Skolitz and I, my, my colleague at the University of Tennessee, we sat down about 10 years ago, as we always do. We, we reflect we reflect on our classes and our students and, you know, what we need to do better, what we need to, to, to modify. And, you know, we're, we're seeing, we were seeing the same patterns with our students. They're excellent at analyzing data, especially quantitative data. They know how to do regressions. They know how to do a t-test. They, they can do all of that. But what we were seeing is once they kind of jumped on their own and now we're leading a project, they struggled with, how do I organize this data? How do I, what, what is the steps? What is from A to Z in how I manage and organize and, and clean and clean this data? So we, we sat down, I think it was at a coffee shop. Usually it's at a coffee shop with Gary. We're sitting down at a coffee shop. We're kind of hashing it out. And we came up with these 12 steps of data cleaning. And yes. we, they've been modified uh, over the years. And um, we started teaching that in the classes and we got great, great feedback, great response. And so then we're like, well, let's, tiptoe into the, you know, outside of UT's world. And we presented at AEA. We've done some workshops. We've done webinars. We've, we've done workshops, you know, uh, all over the world. And so the last, especially the last about five years, we've talked about, we really need to write a book. We need to write a book. Well, you know, as an evaluator, we have very busy lives. And, you know, I always, even though I say, you know, say no, I always take on more than I can handle. Oh, and so just, just kept on getting pushed back and oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do this I'll do this post tenure. And then now, you know, we both have tenure. I'll do, I'll, you know, I'll do this when we have a little bit more time and we get that fourth faculty member, or, you know, we, we become full professor. And I will say that one, maybe the one good thing coming out of this, this pandemic and you know, forcing us to, to isolate here is okay. Now I have this time and now all of my other curricular activities have been canceled. There's no travel. I'm, I'm, I'm literally attached to a computer screen. <laughs> 
every day. Right. I need to spend the time to, to do this. And so we really want to work on that book proposal this summer, get that out there to book publishers, and then spend the time next year writing this. It, it needs to be done. Um, I'm motivated even more so now to do it. Um, it is a topic that I could probably spend another hour or two <laughs> talking, talking about just because in, in all the workshops that I've done, you know, that seeing that, that spark, that light, it's like, I never thought to think about it this way, or boy, that's such great organization. I, I, I can take what I do and organize it this way and be better prepared for analyzing that data for my client. And like I said, our, our, especially my students, they can, they can analyze that quantitative data. It was, how do I organize it? And then what are those steps, the cleaning and, and the different decision makings? I mean, I say it depends a yes. hundred times a day. It depends. It, and, and so that they, they know that it's okay that I can take this data, I manipulate it this way, and then this is then what I'm going to come up with. But if I manipulate it this way, and then I have to provide evidence. That's the key is not just Dr. Morrow trained me this way, but here's the evidence to support each step, each decision that I make in the process, and then be able to give that back to the client. This is what the data is saying. This is what it looks like. This is how I came to that conclusion. So you get that credibility. And so, I, you know, seeing, you know, students then work through that. And then after we started incorporating this, our classes, being more confident, leading those projects and knowing that they're making a decision that um, they're going to be able to defend versus here's this magic that happens between data collection and the report that I present to my clients. It's not just poof, it occurs. It's here are the steps that I took. Here's how I dealt with these outliers. Here's how I approach missing data and why. And so, uh, I, you know, I love seeing that that confidence, that confidence when they are presenting back to their client, the confidence when they're presenting to their classmates. This is you may not agree with the way that I did it, but this is why this is the evidence to support, and that's okay. That, that's awesome. I, I teach my students in every decision they make, they need to have a strong rationale and they need to be transparent in their decision-making processes. Yes, yes, yes. Not just, just trust me. Trust me. This is statistically significant. P less than 0.05. See, there's an asterisk there. This is why it, it no, provide the evidence, how you got to that, why you got to that. What does this actually mean? What exactly. Is, what does statistically significant mean? And how should we uh, uh, move forward with this uh, information? That's awesome. So are you envisioning this to be a an extension to your 12-step um, handout that you already have? Yes. And so we're actually going to have uh, a chapter on each of those steps, kind of an overview chapter. But for me, you know, again, the way I teach and the way Gary teaches, hands-on activities. And so with that book, here's this data set that you can then follow through all the activities that we're talking about. And so not only is it something you read, but to me, it's a manual. It could be an add-on to a textbook for an evaluation course, for an assessment course. That's my envision. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, but that's what, that's what we are envisioning. And, and we're using this not only to, to all this, what we do in class to, to write this book proposal, but myself and Gary and another colleague, uh, Dr. Lewis Riccone, we're writing uh, an Institute for Educational Sciences grant this summer. Another thing where we're stuck home in a pandemic, <laughs> might as well, right? Might as well, might as well write course. this million dollar grant, right? But, you know, again, even more so now in, in current times, the need for on-demand training, the need for um, 
I can, as a student somewhere else, I can click on uh, a web portal and I need to know information about regression discontinuity designs. And I can click on this link and here is this podcast, here is this data set, here are these additional resources, here are these activities, and it's all in one place. And so that's what we are are, uh, writing for this grant and hopefully it'll come to fruition soon. So, you know, again, uh, our students are all over the place. They're in different situations. They have different backgrounds. Not everyone is getting the same experiences in their graduate program. And so what kind of professional development do uh, educational researchers, evaluators, assessment professionals need? We hope to be able to help provide some of that. That's awesome. So beyond all of this stuff of writing a book proposal, (laughs) of teaching, of being a program director, of writing this IES grant, what's next for you? Um, I'd like to say sleep, but that might happen a <laughs> little bit, a little bit later. We also are, are uh, developing again, you know, just from what we're seeing out there um, in our field is we're, we're creating a distance ed master's program. So right now we only have doctoral program. It is face to face. We do have some online pieces embedded it, but students have to come to Knoxville. And, you know, there, there's a lot of interaction with uh, our faculty and, and their cohorts. But we see the need for a truly distance ed, asynchronous uh, evaluation program that anyone from anywhere in the world can be a part of, can engage with other individuals that want to enhance their skills, and then uh, not have to uproot their lives and their families. They can do it on their own time, but still with that connection to a cohort, that connection uh, to a faculty, and then that hands-on learning, being able to go out there in the field, wherever they are, and and do good evaluation work. And so we're working on that proposal too. And things kind of got derailed with the pandemic. We couldn't do our our needs assessment and our data collection to help develop that. So that will come uh, next year, but uh, we're at least developing that. And hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll be able to say UT, now also has a distance ed master's program. Awesome. Because, you know, I didn't, we didn't have enough. We didn't have enough to do, you know. In, in, in <laughs> oh, no, definitely time. not. No. <laughs> well, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, how can they best find you? Um, email. Uh, so jamorrow at utk.edu. Um, they, if they're on Twitter, they can go to my uh, Twitter feed, Evaluation Diva. I, I tweet every day. It seems like to me it's it's how I get my news, but it's also how I engage with my colleagues. And so I tweet about evaluation, assessment, um, you know, best practices and in, in teaching, uh, different conferences and things that come up. So I'm on Twitter probably more than I more than I should be, but uh, oh, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I follow you and 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 many others. It's but it's to me it's it's to see what is going on in our field and also to hear about new topics and, and, and issues and, and areas that, that need to be addressed and also connecting, connecting with colleagues. I mean, uh, I've met so many, that's how I met Ann Emery. I'm like, who's this person and what does she do? And then I went to a workshop. I'm like, she's amazing. And yeah. And I actually had her record a video for my program eval two class to talk about what she does. And oh my God, the students, students loved it they were just so enamored like wow like you can change your whole life and do what you love and be passionate about it and be successful at it and so I I really yeah that was I was so I was so glad she said yes to that (laughs) 
Yeah. Anne is amazing. And I love Twitter for the networking and professional yes. development. I think yeah. I get more out of that than sometimes the conferences. Conferences are so big and you're running around. There's so much to do and you don't always have that time for, for networking. I think more networking happens at the end of the night, you know, in the restaurant, in the bar. Uh, but at Twitter, it's like I've met all these new colleagues. I've learned about all, all new topics. Um, and so I try to infuse that in, with my classes as well. That's awesome. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I oh, loved hearing so about fun. your Yeah, thank you. Loved hearing about your teaching, loved hearing about your book proposal and all the million things that you're working on. And I wish you luck with everything. <laughs> well, thank you. And and keep on doing this. This is great. I'm so glad you're doing this. Well, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please visit the podcast website at evaluland.fireside.fm where you can subscribe to get notified of new episodes and contact us with your questions, comments, or suggestions. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, this has been Evaluate.